Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Before we jump into today's episode, I have to tell you about Level Up Your Listing Women's Summit in Scottsdale, Arizona, February 27th, 28th, and March 1st. This is the biggest women's event ever in the hospitality and real estate industry, and we've secured the ultimate speaker lineup of some of the most inspiring women in the industry, from thanks to visiting Sarah and Annette, to the short-term shops Avery Carl, to Julie George, also known as the Million Dollar Host, and so many more. Not to mention our special guest, April Brown of Netflix's Motel Makeover and co-founder of the famous June Motel. Our sessions range from how to save tens of thousands every year on taxes, how to build a hosting business that you could one day sell for millions, how to work with insurance companies to get midterm rentals secured for 100% occupancy, and that's just the beginning. Gather with 350 women just like you who are passionate about hospitality, design, and guest experience. This event is also for women who support hosts. So if you're a designer, stager, photographer, realtor, social media manager, muralist, or anything else, you need to be here. Head to levelupyourlistingsummit.com and use code NATALIE10 for 10% off your ticket. Tickets are going quicker than ever, and this event is sure to sell out, so secure your seat today. If you are ready to be the best host you can be with the best hosting business you can have, you have earned a spot here. We cannot wait to meet you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer, and today I am so excited to have on Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty. He is a realtor. Uh, Tyler, you're based out of North Carolina. Am I correct in that? But I know you cover a lot more regions than just that, so don't let me butcher your intro and your location here. But the reason I wanted to have Tyler on is because he is a realtor that specializes in helping buyers find short-term rental properties. That is exclusively what he does. And I think that that's such an interesting perspective that not a lot of realtors can give us. So I really want to talk today about how to find the right properties and maybe a little bit too about the housing market right now and how to look at it from an STR investor perspective. So Tyler, welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself and kind of walk us down the journey of how you ended up as a STR exclusive agent? And then we'll kind of jump into some uh, valuable tips that we can give the listeners today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Natalie. Um, so again, I'm, I'm Tyler Kuhn. And yes, I'm in the western North Carolina mountains. And I ended up here, my parents had moved here a decade before I ever landed here. Uh, and so kind of like everyone, you know, as your parents age, you want to get a little bit closer to them. Uh, and so we, we ended up moving here. And it's funny because we didn't, we weren't super in love with the area before we got here, but, and I hear this story time and time again, we came here and then really spent a little bit of time here and we just totally fell in love with the area so much so that 
last year when we uh, took a, an RV trip all across the country for a month, coming back into the Asheville area was one of our prettiest sites that we saw. So uh, yeah, we, we absolutely love the North Carolina mountains. Uh, and uh, so I decided to get into real estate and uh, it was really interesting working with first time home buyers and people moving to and from the area and seniors. And then I started working with this doctor who wanted to add to his real estate portfolio and he wanted to get into short-term rentals and working with him. We did eight transactions together that year on short-term rentals. And I just had so much fun with it. Analyzing the properties. I, I tell my clients now for me, it's almost like gambling. It gives me that rush when I can analyze a property and dig into the comps. And then I can get to the end and go, this is a winner. Like this is a winner of a property. When I get that rush, I'm feeling it right now. When I get that <laughs> rush, it, it's like hitting a jackpot on a slot machine for me. And so being able to kind of pat, I can't buy everything myself, right? So being able to pass that on to clients uh, is one of my favorite things. And so at that time I decided, you know, this is what I want to do. I'm having so much fun with it. And we, when you can do what you love, I think that's the best of both worlds. And it's been really lucrative as well, not just for myself, but also for my clients. Okay. So you decided to specialize in short-term rentals, basically almost through accident, found that you really loved it. You had your own, and this was a way to kind of you know, like you said, give, go through the experience of buying short-term rentals without your own money since you can't own everything. So from there, what are some things that you have learned in the process? Like, you know, if it were you investing personally, or if you were walking a client through finding a property, what are things that you would look for and things that you would steer away from? I would say for me, the number one thing to consider is don't don't just run a property through a five-minute underwrite and then toss it to the side. Some of the best properties that I found uh, took a long time for me to, to get to the end and go, okay, yes, this will be a really great property. Now, I'm not saying that you should buy everything or put an offer in on everything for sure. Like I tell clients not to buy property more often than I tell them to buy property, but you really want to do a deep enough underwrite on the property itself. You want to compare it with the, the properties around it that are on Airbnb. And what you want to do is make sure that it's almost uh, inflation proof, right? Like you want to make sure that it's not going to be just a great property today, but that if other people come in and buy short-term rentals around it and they design them really well, are those properties going to eventually beat you, right? Are, are you going to fall down the list? You want to find something that one of my agents, Tony Bower, has coined the phrase a scroll stopper. So you want to find the scroll stopper. Uh, and then you want to make sure that it can compete for years to come. I think, you know, it's short-term investing, but it's certainly uh, long-term, uh, you know, you need to keep the long-term in mind, right? And so I think that's what a lot of people are forgetting and they, they think what might be great today, but is it going to be great tomorrow? I think it's really interesting. I saw in Gatlinburg, you know, everybody in Gatlinburg now has an indoor pool and they've got a spa and they've got a Dave and Buster's downstairs. And I look at that and I'm like, how can you possibly compete? And then I was on Facebook the other day and I don't know if you saw this, Natalie, but there was this trending photo going around of a guy with an, in ground, uh, an indoor pool in his basement, but then he themed the entire basement like a cave. Wow. So now I'm like, what's next, you know, and it's so it's happening so fast. So for me, I would, I would stay away from a market like that. I don't want that additional competition. That's just, they're changing things so fast. I would have to pour all my profit in very quickly. So I'm a big fan right now of middle America, right? I think the South Bend Indianas and the Bourbon Trail Kentuckys and the Ozarks, 
uh, and Hot Springs, Arkansas. Like these are the areas where you can get into today. Uh, obviously, Western North Carolina as well. But these are the areas that you need to trend towards versus somewhere like Gatlinburg or Blue Ridge, Georgia. So how do you make that decision? Because I think that this is one of the trickiest things to navigate. You see a market like Gatlinburg and you hear a bunch of people are just crushing it there. And so you're like, oh, my God, clearly there's something there. So I want to go there. And you don't realize it might be already oversaturated at this point. And then there's other markets that are untapped so far. And so you're like, OK, maybe I can go there and be the first one and, you know, pioneer this and be be the best of the best. But maybe you're taking a gamble on a location that's just not ever going to be a huge attraction like how do you find that you know that sweet middle ground where it's it's still not too saturated and you can compete but you're not being you're not over leveraging yourself on something that like might not pan out the way you're hoping yeah I think one of the ways I tell people this all the time and most of my experience comes from western North Carolina so I don't know all the tricks but one trick that I do know that I really like and and I've learned over time here in Western North Carolina, it would be very hard to oversaturate my market because there's not what one anchor attraction, right? So if you're in, and I compare to Gatlinburg a lot because it's a close market to me. I'm not the, the biggest, world's biggest Gatlinburg hater. I get that all the time, but it's a close mountain market for me. So I compare to it a lot. Um, but in Gatlinburg, you've got Dollywood, you've got the Smoky National Park, and then you've got, you know, the, the little downtown areas. So the closer you are to those anchor attractions, the better you do. In Western North Carolina, it's really not the same way because there's hundreds of different things to do. And there's dozens of small, quaint mountain towns that are always hitting all these cool top 10 lists. And, uh, and so not having like one reason to come to uh, for, for travelers to come to a market, I think it's really important. So I might consider uh, something like that if you're looking at other markets that there's not just one reason or one place where they would come. So to, to give you kind of a, a brass tax example, like lots of people come to Asheville, but there's also people that come to Western North Carolina and never step foot downtown. And they might go two hours away in a different direction. Uh, and it could be one direction or the other, right? There are Maggie Valley was just rated number one place to view the fall foliage in the in, in the fall uh, in the country. Asheville was rated number one foodie destination in America. Uh, we have two of the top forty restaurants for new restaurants in twenty two. Uh, on the list, right? And that's out of the entire United States. And so I think it's important to find a market that has a lot of different layers of tourism, mm -hmm. why people might come there. And that those layers can be spread apart location-wise. So from Bryson City to Beach Mountain, which I cover both of those areas, that's a four-hour drive. And, uh, and so I think that's one trick you can use to look for markets that you should be able to be successful in today is look for something that obviously tourists need to go there, but it's not a market that could be oversaturated very easily by just one anchor attraction. So that, that would be like one trick that, that I know okay. that folks can use. Okay. And then I also want to know too, being that you are specialized as a short-term rental realtor, what is like a service or something or some insight that you can offer clients that they wouldn't get from a typical realtor? Um, is it just a matter of when you're showing them the homes, you kind of know in the back of your head what's going to work and isn't? Or are you sitting there with them, helping them run their deal analysis? 
Yeah, so I running the deal analysis, doing the pro formas, getting to the decision of is this a good investment or not is my favorite part of my job. And I have to remind clients of that because sometimes they're like, oh, well, I ran a few deals and we didn't talk. So I just threw them out the window. You you, you like I love to do that. So I love if I have to do that 100 times with clients, I don't mind. It's my favorite part of my job. Um, so yes, I go through and do the full underwrite with my clients. So that's one benefit. Another benefit specifically of working with me, but but something you might consider if you were to go to another area with an agent uh, would be to ask them, do they have Airbnbs of their own, right? Do they know what works in that market? Um, and so, yes, I invest and I'm exclusively invested in Western North Carolina. The, the taxes are low. Expenses are low. People come here. We don't have any natural disasters, uh, for me, there's no reason to go anywhere else that, that I might not know a lot about or, or to take that risk. Um, so I'm invested here. And then I also have a vacation rental management company. And most of my clients don't go in and have me manage their property and they won't hear a big sales pitch from me on why they should. Um, but the, the benefit that they actually get out of that when they're self-managing is that I'm always looking for new cleaners, new handymen, uh, all sorts of trades. And so if they ever run into an issue, they know that they can call me and probably I've got somebody teed up that has done a really good job for us recently. So um, those are some of the benefits of, of working with me personally and some things that you might ask an agent in a certain market, uh, you know, what their qualification is to be a short-term rental realtor. I really firmly believe that this should almost be like a secondary license type because I've heard of a lot of uh, clients out there who bought very bad and poor, just poor investments. And it was really the agent, at least in my eyes, that could have saved them from that if they had just had the knowledge. So uh, that's what I want to do. And I'm not afraid to tell an investor not to buy property. I've had people that we've analyzed 50 deals. None of them were good. And it took months and months and months. And then we ended up finding something awesome. Uh, and, and that's almost, you know, I, I almost like that more than finding the best deal on the first call, but that's happened too. I had a client, I, in fact, I had a lot of clients at the end of November who were doing cost segregation studies and they're like, I, I, I spent my whole year. I didn't find anything. I need to find something in the next week. And so we, we put 15 or 20 deals under contract and we got them all set up, designed, interior decorated and everything before the end of the year. So that was a lot of work. Uh, but we, we made it happen for a lot of clients. Yeah, cool. I will. I'll tell you a quick personal story. A few years ago, I don't know if I've ever said this here, but a few years ago, um, we were looking at purchasing a property in Palm Springs for a short term rental. And um, we were looking at a condo complex. And we asked the realtor explicitly multiple times, like, are you sure we can do short term rentals here? Like that is 100% our goal. We might block two weekends of the year for ourselves, but like this is a STR investment property. Yeah, 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 totally. I've sold condos to people here who are doing this over and over. And I mean, thank God we like did our own due diligence, but we were in escrow. And I think like two days before escrow closed, we caught one line item in the CCNRs from the HOA that said you can only short term rent three times a year, essentially for both weekends of Coachella and the one weekend of stagecoach. And like that was protected by the condo complex, but that was it. And we were pissed. We told the realtor like we're done. We pulled out, you know, we got our deposit back and everything. But it was so 
like upsetting because we actually really liked the realtor up until that point. Like he was very personable and easy to get a hold of. And we would have totally used him to buy something else when we found out that condo didn't work. But at that point we were like, no, like he knew what we wanted from the beginning. And it's just, it was just, it was truly shocking to me that that was the one condition that we laid out so clearly and couldn't even tell us the truth on that. So yeah, this is this is so important. You guys like really make sure you are finding a realtor that does know this very well. And even if you tell them what you're looking for, like, I, I don't know if his intentions were bad, or he just maybe again, in the back of his mind was like, No, I know people rent it for stagecoach and Coachella. So it's good. You have to have somebody who actually like knows what you're looking for. Um, it, it's just so critical. So yeah, How are you able yeah. when you cover a four hour difference to to research all of these, you know, different regulations in different towns and stuff? Is that something that you're also able to help clients kind of walk through or guide them in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of regulation, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, you have to be specialized in it. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. I can't spend my time out showing first time home buyers houses. I spend that time researching regulations and going to, to council meetings and things like that. My agent in the Kentucky trail, uh, Tony Bower, she goes to every city council, anything to do with short-term rentals in almost all of Kentucky, all over the Bourbon Trail of Kentucky. Uh, and I do the same thing here. And uh, I think it's really important. You have to know not just the, the local ordinances, but also per HOA, per community. Right. And it's really interesting in Western North Carolina because there are so many people out there that say, don't just don't buy an HOA at all. Well, it's really hard to do that in North Carolina because there are the, one of the reasons that state taxes are so low, which makes it a great state to invest in, is that. Uh, state infrastructure doesn't go very far. So state roads, road maintenance, utilities, mm -hmm. it doesn't go very far. And so uh, a lot of times there are loosely formed HOAs here that are just there. They're not there to measure, you know, your grass when you cut it or, or stop short-term rentals, but they're there so everybody pulls resources for road maintenance and paving every couple of years and utilities coming in. Um, and so it's really hard to escape HOAs here, but you need to know what the difference is between the residential HOA that is going to measure your grass and they're going to care if you short-term rental your property or the one that's loosely formed and it's mostly there for road maintenance and things like that. So mm -hmm. you do really have to know. And I think this problem, I've, I've seen this over and over with all the clients I've worked with. We sold 50 million. It was all short-term rentals in 2022. Amazing. And we, we heard it time and time again from clients either that worked with an agent that didn't know what they were doing and they bought a bad investment, but they bought something that they couldn't even short-term rent or that they didn't buy something because they couldn't find an agent that knew what they were talking about. So they couldn't feel comfortable in the market. And so I actually, after seeing this, I was like, I want to tackle this problem. I want to solve this problem nationwide. And so now what we're doing, just like we've got Tony Bower in the Bourbon Trail of Kentucky, and we've got Aaron March, who's in uh, the coastal South Carolina. He's moving into coastal North Carolina as well. Uh, we are training and bringing agents on board to my company, Savvy Realty, uh, into these markets that are not oversaturated. So we're not going to try to push you into a market that's oversaturated like some other people might. Uh, and uh, really just make sure that the agents are trained, one, with integrity top of mind, right? Like my paycheck does not factor in 
at least until I know that something's going to be a really good investment for somebody. Like, obviously, I, I want to make a living too. But at the end of the day, my clients and, and their word of mouth and them being my biggest cheerleaders, that leads to 10 times more business than me trying to force somebody into a bad investment or trick them into something. So I would rather tell people, no, right now there's nothing on the market. And I have clients begging me to buy something. I think I called me yesterday. He said, if you just tell me to buy something, I will buy it. Oh my God. And right now we, we don't have very many deals under contract. It's going to be one of our slowest months we've had in the last year. And so could I take advantage of that? Yeah, I could. But at the end of the day, like that's not part of what we do. And so I told him, unfortunately, there's just nothing I would recommend you to buy right now. Mm -hmm. There's just literally nothing. It's a slow time for inventory on the market, early January. It's super typical. Um, and so that's just what it is. And so we're just waiting. We're calling all our old clients and just touching base with them, finding out what they're doing this year and what their investment goals are. And that's what we're spending our time on. Wow, I love that you're calling back old clients because I'm sure so many of them, if you got them into the right deal the first time, they're ready to scale up and expand. And so that's such a good way to keep in touch with them, you know, and help guide them along that that process. Um, okay, one thing I need to ask you. So you did 50 million last year. That is amazing. And congratulations. Um, can we like dive into that a little bit? Because I know yeah. everybody is saying, even myself, like 2021 was the best year for short-term rentals. Last year was slower. I felt that with my own listings. What is your perspective on this? And how do you think 2023 is going to pan out? So obviously, this is something that's super market dependent. So what I will speak on, because I know it in and out is Western North Carolina. And there are a lot of people saying that. And I definitely find that it's true for a lot of markets that 2021 was better than 2022. But it just didn't happen in Western North Carolina. And I think I know the reason why. I was hypothesizing when people started saying, you know, 2021 is the best year. Don't compare it to 2022. I thought, I don't think that's going to happen here. I think we're those people are going to come back. I think they're going to come back and it's just going to add the, the repeat travelers to the routine travelers that always come back. Right. And it, in fact, it did turn out to be true. October, 2022 uh, was 30% higher uh, short-term rental spending for guests for, for tourism than 2021, wow. 30% up year over year. And our appreciation did not go up 30%. So we have more dollars being spent, but we have less houses being put on the short-term rental market. In fact, when I looked that month and AirDNA released that report and they said, occupancy is down, but tourism is actually up. They said tourism is up 22% year over year, but the number of listings is up 25% year over year. Mm. So what does that mean? That, that means we're coming down a little bit in overall revenue per listing. So what I, I thought of is, okay, well, we need to go find the markets that did not grow but the, or, or that grew by less than 23% because now we're finding a market that travel growth outpaced new listing growth. And that's what happened here. In fact, I was looking at Sugar Mountain that day for a client and we had actually lost 10% listings in, in the year. And so here's another trick that I can tell people on a market to go to, find somewhere that gets a lot of tourism, but also has a ton of primary home buyers. And the reason why is because those primary home buyers will actually pull Airbnbs off the market. And that's not typical for an area like 
Gulf Shores or Destin or Gatlinburg or Blue Ridge, uh, it's not typical for properties to actually come off the short-term rental market. And I can back this up. We just had a listing in December. Uh, it was uh, new construction. It was a cabin. It was in Beach Mountain by the ski resort. There's not even a lot of people that live up there. That really is a tourist town. And the guy that bought that property, he didn't want the furniture inside. I said, what are you going to, it's all brand new. What are you talking about? And he's like, I'm going to retire here. I have my own furniture. So he's coming up to Beach Mountain to actually retire there. And he pulled that listing off the Airbnb market. And so that would be another trick that you could find is look at listing growth and just make sure that you look at tourism growth in the area. And you want to find somewhere where tourism growth is outpacing listing growth. And if you can find that, I think you're finding yourself a good niche. And that's definitely Western North Carolina, but there's other markets out there like that as well. Could you name a couple of those other markets? I know your specialty is Western North Carolina, but those other agents you work with, can you give us like a peek into these markets you're like excited about right now? Yeah, so I, I definitely am really, really excited about the Bourbon Trail of Kentucky. Uh, some of the numbers coming out of there are just incredible. Now, it's really tough because Tony tells me she's I have more clients than I do houses to sell. It's very particular what property there will actually do well as a short-term rental. So you have to get on her list, and then you have to call her all the time. Make sure she knows your name. Make sure she knows like the people that call me all the time are the ones that get the best deals. Mm -hmm. And and some people will call me six months later. Oh, well, I didn't want to bother you. Well, I mean, I, I feel badly about this, but I forgot about you. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's just how it is, especially when you're, when I, you know, I'm really good at my job. And, uh, and so I'm busy and, and a lot of people want to work with me, but it's the people that call me and, and, you know, every week, do you have something for me? Do you have something for me? Uh, so really excited about the bourbon trail of Kentucky. I'm really excited about coastal South Carolina as well. Myrtle Beach, Charleston area are both really good. Uh, Myrtle Beach in particular did millions of dollars of investment in, in their tourism industry during COVID. They were revitalizing areas that historically had been, uh, you know, ridden by crime. There's a reason that it's called Dirty Myrtle, right? I mean, that's that's the thing that's out there. Uh, and it's been that way for a long time, but they spent millions and millions of dollars building new piers and parks and sidewalks and putting up traffic lights. And so what I, I always like to get into a market where other folks are investing beside me. And so if people are investing in infrastructure, that obviously means that they've done the research and they know that the tourists are coming or they can bring the tourists. Uh, and so I'm not going to go do that, double do that research. I don't have a huge research and, and marketing budget, but they do. And so they're obviously doing that for a reason. Um, so really excited about coastal South Carolina. Some of the biggest numbers on STR Insights uh, for, for beach markets come out of Charleston as well. And Aaron March uh, is also uh, able to cover the Charleston coast. Uh, a lot of regulation there. So you have to work with an agent that knows where you can plug the holes. Um, so yeah, those are, those are two markets I'm really excited about right now. Also like, uh, you know, the Cape Cod area in Massachusetts has been coming out really well. Dave Minipace is up there. Uh, Ryan Duffy is down in the Ozarks. Uh, and, uh, that's a really cool market as well, but these are not the markets that you hear that are like the viral trending markets. Those, I would stay away from those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and I know now that I'm, I've said this for a year now, and I'm really pretty good at putting myself out there meeting with, with, you know, amazing influencers like you, Natalie. Uh, so I don't want people to get the idea that mine is a viral trending market. Uh, it's not, and, and we'll make sure not to oversaturate it. 
Oh, that's so funny because I was just at a real estate meetup like a month ago and it was two agents from, I won't say the market they were from, but two agents from a certain market came and they were trying to pitch to, I was, I'm in Orange County, so they were trying to pitch to Southern California investors about this other market, somewhere in the Midwest, I'll say that. And, you know, they were giving all these numbers, everything you're touching on, actually, like they really did their research and, you know, that the tourism is outpacing um, the, the listing inventory, like totally touched on this. And I was sitting there like, oh, my gosh, am I going to invest in this market? I never thought about it before, but maybe I want to. And then some girl came up to me and we were kind of talking and she was like, oh, yeah, but now that these guys are saying it, I don't want to invest there anymore. Like the fact they're talking about it already makes me think it's oversaturated. And I was like, this was a real estate meetup of like 30 people. Like if that's <laughs> oversaturated for you, yeah. girl, I don't know what you're going to find, you know? And so there is like a certain point where, yeah, I know once people are talking about it, there's like, is it already too on the map? But I think what you touched on, it's at the end of the day, get get the emotion out of it. And if the numbers are making sense, it's a good investment. And if you have somebody that can hold your hand through the process, you know, to break it down for you, I think that's really valuable. Um one thing I want to ask you too is I know we've been talking about how to identify these markets. Once you've picked the market you want to be in, what's your take on finding the exact property? I know in some markets, you know, a five bedroom home does really, really well, whereas like a studio apartment would just nobody's booking. But there's other places where the exact opposite is true. Couples want to come in a small place and a huge home is just not going to perform well. So once a client has told you which market they want to do, what steps are you taking with them to figure out the exact property that's going to work? Yeah. So I think the first question I always ask clients when they're asking me about areas in the market is I want to find out if they know anything about the market themselves. Because I I always find that like, maybe you vacationed there as a child, or maybe I I was on a call with a client earlier and he's like, yeah, we we went to a wedding in Asheville a couple of years ago and the leaves were changing and it was this beautiful winery venue. And like, I just loved it so much. And we've never been able to get it out of our mind. Um, I think that if you can find a place that one, the numbers have to work, but two, if you have some sort of emotional attachment to it, focus there first, right? Don't try to get too creative or wait too long to try to find the perfect niche market. Um, I always tell people like, you could have a good deal in today in Bryson City, or it could be in Beach Mountain. And I use those because they're the two furthest points away from each other in the area that I cover. So is Bryson City better than Beach Mountain? No, it's it's really deal dependent. So I think if it were me, I wouldn't cross any specific thing off the list. Um, I know a lot in the beach markets, people will say like, don't go into tier three or whatever it is. But I think that's such an overgeneralization. Can you explain what that is? What's that? Could you explain what that is really quickly? Tier tier yeah, one, so, tier three. So on the beach markets, tier one is oceanfront, tier two is two blocks back, tier three is three blocks back, and okay. so on and so on. And so, but let's say you you never know what's going to hit the market. Maybe somebody in that tier three, a seller, is in a really bad situation. They need a really fast sale, or the agent made a mistake and they priced it two hundred thousand dollars lower. Maybe the numbers really start to look more attractive if it's two hundred thousand below market value, right? So I don't. I don't I don't like overgeneralizations in the real estate market. I think you can find a deal anywhere. But when when I find that the people that are the least successful are the ones that have really hard guidelines in place for themselves, like I will only buy tier one and tier two. Well, okay, I guess that's fine. We'll look for something there, but maybe those are too expensive now. Maybe the market's changing. Real estate is never set in stone. And so uh, I think 
that's what I would say is just be open-minded about what you're going to buy. And so in terms of going to a specific location and finding what might work the best, you could certainly go on um, Airbnb and find the properties that have the most reviews and, you know, see what's super booked up. And that might give you an idea. But what I've also found that sometimes it's the opposite. Like you might look on Airbnb and see, oh my God, there's a thousand cabins, but there's only 30 new construction residential type, you know, sticks and bricks homes. And you're like, oh, well, I obviously need a cabin. They're all doing so well. But maybe it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. Maybe because there's a thousand cabins that your 31st residential home, now you're in a niche market. So uh, I would be, I would be really careful. Dig deep into the comps and see what values that the comps really have. Find out what revenue they're doing and use more than one source to do it. Air, AirDNA is not the end-all be-all. Data.Rebu is not the end-all be-all. Like the RankBreeze plugin is, is really good to use because it runs future and current revenue, what they're getting. So if you can start to make revenue add up and, and two or three different platforms and you're like, okay, this is really consistent what they're reporting. Now I feel good about it. Then you look at what are the values that that house has to offer? Can my property that I'm looking at buying, the one that I'm comparing to it, can we offer the same values? Can we offer better values? Obviously, if you can offer better values than all your comps, then you're good to go. But it's really interesting because like just plugging an address into AirDNA, for instance, you have to know AirDNA is really tight on, on location. They will not show comps that are like two more than two miles away. Yeah. Where data.rebu, they will go further and show comps. So I was having a conversation with somebody about this last week, and we were looking at the six-bedroom property in Maggie Valley. So when I went on Airbnb, I, was, I said, I want to know how many six-bedrooms there are. There are nine six-bedroom houses all over Maggie Valley, which probably from one end to another where tourists would want to say is about six miles. So looking on AirDNA, the numbers looked awful, but there was only three comps and it was pulling a four bedroom, a five bedroom and a six bedroom. So of course the numbers look awful. We're not comparing apples to apples. So I said, I need to go and I need to find those, those other six bedrooms because I think at the end of the day, if the market is not oversaturated for six bedrooms, uh, then I don't think a tourist cares whether they stay at one end or the other if they don't have a choice. Obviously, if there's 56 bedrooms in downtown Maggie Valley, like then they have a choice and location matters a little bit more. Um, it's it's all these little niche things that affect the deals. Yeah, that, that's why you really have to have an agent that like micro knows each town, each road. Uh, and, and it's a lot to take in for an investor. And so find somebody you can trust. And then what I would say is if you make the decision to trust them, trust them, you know, that's where I've got people that are, you know, have passed up really, really good opportunities. Um, and then I went and sold it to someone else and they just did incredible. Uh, you know, there was uh, some talk last year about the high country and it was all about Beach Mountain and Banner Elk. And um, there was uh, people out there saying, don't buy in Seven Devils, don't buy in Blowing Rock, don't buy in Boone. And I know, for instance, the houses that I did sell in Seven Devils and the houses I did sell in Blowing Rock are massively outperforming the ones I sold in Beach Mountain and Banner Elk. So sometimes the social media influencers are also wrong about a market. Uh, and I really firmly believe that those would do well. And then now my clients are calling me like, in six months, I made 125 grand oh on, a, on a million dollar <laughs> investment. So they're going to make 250 grand a year on a million dollar investment. Uh, Amazing. And that's just... 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's just incredible what you can do if you throw the biases out the window. Now, I'm again, I don't want people to think I just want them to buy whatever for whatever reason. Right. Like you have to make things make sense. Um, you don't have to tell yourself a fake story, but like you have to get rid of the the biases about certain markets or about certain trends that people are out there talking about, I think, and just have an open mind. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that. So I'll quickly just tell you a little bit about my uh, hosting background and my listeners have heard this a hundred times, so I'll make it brief for you. But um, <laughs> I, I manage a bunch of condos all in Big Bear, California, so ski resort town in SoCal. And um, how I got started was my parents had a second home there. They owned a condo in Big Bear. And when we got older and weren't using the property, I was like, mom, dad, can I try putting this on Airbnb? And it just took off from there. And I remember when we launched that listing, I had so much insecurities about the property. It's a really, really nice condo and a great location. And, you know, it's got a pool maintained by the complex, which nowhere in Big Bear has a pool really. Um, But I just kept thinking like people who go to Big Bear want the A-frame experience. They want the ski in, ski out. They want the really nice like rustic cabin, not like a new build condo. And I really doubted that it would do well. And it turns out it just, there was so many, exactly what you touched on. There were so many other A-frames and those rustic mountain cabins to be (laughs) offered that this was just like a diamond in the rough. Like people flock to it. And a lot of the things where, um, you know, we don't have any of the issues of like having to park on a steep driveway. Um, All the snow shoveling is maintained by the condo complex. So there's never an issue getting, getting anything plowed around the area. Um, There's not like some difficult winding road. We've got a whole parking lot there. And I think what you just touched on about being open-minded and, you know, this is what's tricky and it just does take practice and someone experienced to hold your hand. Because like you said, if you're looking at a market and you see a thousand cabins and only 30 new constructions, you might think that you have to do a cabin to be successful it could be the exact opposite. And it really, like somebody who just does this every single day is going to be able to tell you, you know, if that's the case or not. And yeah, I'm really glad you touched on that. I think being open-minded is so important. But again, not to the point where you're just like letting all (laughs) data points go out the window, right? Um, It's a tough balance for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, One thing too that I want to ask you, so when you're talking about like beach markets or mountain markets and stuff, those are very seasonal markets. I'm in a very seasonal market. We do really well summers and winters. Summer, we have the lake. Winter, we've got the ski resort. Spring and fall are a lot slower. So what processes or like what steps are you taking with your clients to make sure that the slow seasons, it it seems to me like almost all the markets you're working in are really seasonal. So what steps are you taking to make sure that the income they'll make in high season will offset those slow seasons? Yeah, so I think that's definitely interesting to think about. And it's something I've got to learn a little bit more about as well, because to to be perfectly honest, like Western North Carolina really isn't seasonal. So we've got an incredible fall because we have the longest uh, leaf foliage season in the country. And the reason why it's the longest in the country is because we have massive elevation changes very quickly in how quickly you can get there. And so mm-hmm. fall, typically when the leaves change, you really only have two weeks, but it changes at different elevations like staggered. So it's going to start at the really high elevations because it gets colder faster. And then two weeks will go by and then it'll be ugly but our, our area is unique because you can go down a thousand feet in elevation 
by driving 15, 20 minutes down the road. And so and your guests uh, you, don't know those intricacies, right? It's not like, yeah. oh, if I'm not at the top of the mountain, I'm going to miss those two weeks. They just see the general area and they can drive once they're there. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's what I tell people is, you know, it's really hard to peg uh, leaf season in other markets because it could be early October. It could be early November. Uh, it's just different year by year and there's no way to know exactly. And so Western North Carolina is uniquely positioned because maybe in Asheville that week, the leaves are, are all gone and it's ugly and it's, you know, all yeah. the, everything's, you know, kind of done, but then they can come down and they drive to a lower elevation and within, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, they do, they can go on hikes. They can go to the waterfalls. They can do the outdoorsy activities and see the mountains and things. So, um, uh, you know, and not to just talk about fall, but then we've got ski resorts for the winter and then spring and summer are always good here. So we really have a strong 10 month season. So that, that for like earlier when I said, this is why I only invest here. It really, <laughs> really is why I only invest here because I, I don't have to deal with those issues. Um, so I think as I grow uh, the, my business and the savvy realty team to different markets, it is something I'm going to have to learn more about. Um, so, but I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm not an expert on seasonality sure. other than we have great seasonality. <laughs> some other you haven't had don't. to be, yeah, you haven't had yeah, to become but, an expert in it because it's worked exactly. out so well. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. In that case here, I think this might be the last big thing I want to touch on with you, but what is your take on amenities? I know you talked a little bit about the huge game rooms and the indoor pools and all of this. What are things in your market or maybe even outside of your market that you think are really um, raising the value of a home or something? What are things that, you know, you're budgeting for? Um, this home doesn't have a pool, but I think when you buy it, you should budget an extra 50K to put one in. Are, like, what are what are some of those things that you're, those conversations you're having? Yeah, so obviously having all the amenities and all the values you possibly can is really interesting. And going back to your early earlier question where you asked me tricks to identify markets, this would be another good trick would be look for markets where the standards are really low. Mm -hmm. So this would obviously rule out somewhere like Gatlinburg, where the only way you can set yourself apart these days is to hire Dolly Parton to greet your guests at the door, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, you know, like in Asheville, there's, I mean, it's like full of, grandma and grandpa's dusty old second homes with, you know, furniture from the 1980s and maybe a beat up old pool table. Uh, and so when we have professional hosts come in here and they do like incredible design and they put in a decent game room and they put, put in a movie theater and they put in a hot tub and a fire pit, they're already climbing to like the top 10% of rentals in our area. So it makes it very easy to perform and compete. Um, so to talk a little bit about what might work in my market, definitely like outdoor stuff. I mean, people come here to be outdoorsy. They come here to go to the breweries and that's a lot of outdoor stuff. Uh, and so definitely the fire pits. Hot tub is an absolute must. I have two management clients last year that decided, well, we'll just see how it does without the hot tub. We don't want to make the 10K investment. And for sure, they lost more than 10000 in revenue after I told them you, you have to have a hot tub here because there are too many of them. And if you don't have one, you, you just can't compete with anyone else. So I think looking at the amenities that the other properties that are doing well, you can match those. But then also maybe go to a Gatlinburg market and see, okay, what are they adding? Like, what are the future trends in my market where we're not so caught up with the future yet? What can I add that's like one or two steps ahead mm -hmm. and kind of future-proof your short-term rental? 
um, and in, in a market like Gatlinburg or Orlando, where they're so far ahead of most of the other markets, like Mike Shogren's is, I was looking, he's got a mastermind going on right now at his Orlando property. And it's like black lights and like all these themed rooms yeah. and it's so cool. And I'm like, my properties don't look that nice. They don't have <laughs> but to. they still do good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And where you're at, they don't have to look that good. In Orlando, you need it to look nicer yeah. than like the Pirates of the Caribbean ride itself, you know? Right. So yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, a lot exactly. of pressure. Um, yeah. You can have a water flume in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah. Have like Disney princesses there. Um, okay. Right. I, I thought of one more question and I think this will be the last question for you, but you're just so interesting to talk to. But my last Thank thing would you. be what, what, in your opinion, is a good investment? Like at the end of the day, what's the cash on cash return? How much money should you put up front? How much annual revenue should you get back? What are those numbers in your book? Yeah, so, um, you know, this is also going to be about my uniquely positioned area in Western North Carolina. So I know there are a lot of influencers out there who are talking about put more down than less, right? Because they're, they can't always count on appreciation in certain markets. Well, in Western North Carolina, we can pretty much always count on appreciation. And this is just, this is not just a guess. I'm not throwing a dart at a dartboard here blindfolded, right? Uh, but what it is, is in, in a mountain market like this, new construction is always really stagnant. And the reason why is because there's no flat buildable land, right? And so that's just totally logical. It just totally makes mm. sense to people. You can't build a lot when you have to raise mountains to do it. And you have to build long, windy roads and expensive right. driveways to do it. Or and beaches so even, really, right? You're limited yeah. on what's going to be close to the water. You can't just build more shoreline. So yeah, that's okay. exactly right. Yeah. Beaches are uniquely positioned for appreciation that way as well. So and, and, and it, these types of markets where you can't do a lot of new construction uh, and you've obviously people always want to go to the beaches and they always want to move to Western North Carolina because we're consistently hitting all these top lists for places to go and travel to. And people move for the same reasons. Uh, they move to where they want to go. Um, you know, I think that we can count on appreciation here. So my perfect deal looks like 10% down second home loan um, from someone like Huntington Bank. I don't know if you guys know about Huntington Bank or not, but they keep their second home loans in-house. So if you're working with any conventional lender out there, they're going to sell the loan to Fannie Mae. That's what everybody does if it's a second home conventional loan, right? If it's DSCR or something else, that's different. But as far as conventional goes, that's what they do 99% of the time. Well, Huntington Bank actually keeps their second home loans in-house. And so you're saving 1% to 1.5% interest. If you're a jumbo deal, you're actually saving 1% in interest, where most jumbo lenders, you're going up a percent in interest. So it's coming down. And new construction is another 1% savings in interest. And then if you place some money with the bank, so it's very much relationship banking, which is not typically done at a national scale. Normally, that's finding like your local credit union and, and they kind of create custom products for you. So Huntington Bank is the only one I know that that's doing these kind of 10% down um, second home loans where the interest rates are lower and there's no points. And I think people get really, they don't understand what that means. And points can be incredibly expensive, especially right now, where you may refi in a year or two. So all the points you pay, all the fees you pay for a mortgage are totally wasted money. Uh, and so right now, a conventional lender might be two to four points. And so on a million dollar deal, that's twenty to $40,000 flush down the toilet. It goes towards nothing. It doesn't help you with anything. Your interest rate comes down. But if you can go get a better interest rate from Huntington Bank, you're totally wasting your time. So for me, 
I don't want to change it now. No, that was great. 10% down, <laughs> vacation home loan with Huntington Bank. Um, I work with Brian Bockholt there. Um, and then my perfect cash on cash return there is 30 to 40%. And we yeah. can find 40%. We just did a deal for 950000 where it was a 40% cash on cash return. And we're really confident in that too. We're not fluffing the numbers up. Every single property in that neighborhood was doing the revenue that got this property to 40% cash on cash return. That was with a $70,000 improvement budget as well and 10% down. Um, so we were by no means fudging those numbers or trying to make them look better. They just were what they were at a pretty conservative approach. Um, so for me, that's kind of what my best deal looks like. I like to go in and find a property that is not turnkey. Typically, if it's turnkey, they're they're going off of they're they're pricing the house based off of the revenue yeah. at a ten percent gross return on investment. So you spend a million bucks, you get a hundred thousand in revenue, and that's not a good investment. Uh, more one fifty to one seventy five is a is a better return for a million bucks these days, and you can find it, you can get it every day. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking for, um, you know, on a on a daily basis. We can find that in Western North Carolina, and in fact, I know that Tony Bower in Urban Trail of Kentucky is doing even better numbers than that. She told me she's able to find something for 400 and not every day. She just have a lot like this, but for 400, that can do a hundred thousand. And that's a 25% gross return on investment, which yeah. is insane. Yeah. You put 40 grand into it. You make a hundred grand, your mortgage probably costs 40 grand. So, I mean, your cash on cash return is just crazy at that point. That's amazing. In your market, I know you mentioned a $950,000 property, a million dollar property. Is your market good for investors that are working with like a $300,000 budget or something? Or where would you, I know a lot of my listeners are just starting out for their first investment. So what are some markets you could recommend that would be for that lower budget? Yeah, so definitely you can come to Western North Carolina okay. with 300 grand. These days it might be a little bit more than that because we've seen a lot of appreciation um, but for sure, Tony in, in the Bourbon Trail of Kentucky can help at that budget. Properties are a little bit more affordable out there. She always tells me, well, I don't have the million dollar properties like you do, Tyler. Um, but a lot of, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, we talk about these million dollar properties. Just start in real estate investing. Yeah. If I have to end with something, like just start. It's what got me my first real dose of wealth. I've always been very good at making money but I'm also really good at spending money. And so when me and my husband bought our first house, um, we bought it for $300,000 and a year and a half later, we sold it for 440. And just, I mean, like yeah. coming into that wealth so quickly, now I can actually take that money. It was like a nice savings account. And then I reinvested, we bought another house, but then we invested the rest in, in our first short-term rental. And that's how we got started. But it starts snowballing after that. So if I could say anything, it would be, Trying to time the real estate market is like trying to throw a knife in the air and catch it on the way back. You're going to cut yourself, right? Like you don't know, like tell me when the market is is at its highest or lowest, right? And you're like, here, no, then it, it, yeah. it can still go down or go up from there. So don't try to time the market. Do The Warren Buffett strategy I think is perfect for real estate and it's just keep buying. Don't make dumb decisions. Don't like over, if you know you're overpaying for something, don't do that. But don't try to time the downturn at the perfect time because where you're going to end up is two years later going, crap, the downturn was two years ago and now I'm priced out again. So uh, if you can do it, that would be my parting statement would be like, just invest, find something. Don't take risky risks. Like don't just buy something to buy something. But like commit yourself if you have the capital and, and you're, you, you have everything set up to do it. 
do it faster rather than, than slower because you're missing out on intangible appreciation right now. If you have cash sitting in your bank account, too much cash, uh, then, then you're missing out on, on return on investment on that right now. Totally. That was the biggest light bulb moment I've had in the last couple of years. Um, my husband and I bought our primary residence and then we owned one investment property. Um, and it was just crazy to see our primary home has gained 300000 in appreciation. And I think our short-term rental investment has gained like 170. And it was just like one day being like, we were so nervous about putting like $20,000 down. And we now have, you know, 20,000 down on this one. And it's now worth like 175,000 more on our primary residence. You know, it was 40 K or I forget what we put down for that, but like that went up 400,000. And it's just, you have to just like, think about it differently. It's not like, Oh my God, I'm going to spend so much money on this down payment. Like in just a couple years, you're making cash flow in the meantime. And then look what else is happening just on the, you know, long-term wealth of the property. So yeah, people have to switch their thinking about that. Um, and then also to what you talked about with timing the market, that is so accurate too. Like it's like just six months ago, you know, people were like, this is the best time to buy because the interest rates are so low, overpaying by $120,000. Now the interest yeah. rates went higher and so prices come down and they're like, well, I don't want to buy now. And there's never <laughs> right. going to be, there's pros and cons to everything. Fine. Pick up a, a higher interest rate right now. It's not the end of the world. Like just get in. You're going to regret not starting more than than anything else so yeah yeah, yeah. thank I think you it's, yeah i think you you absolutely have to just go and invest if you have the cash and if you don't have the cash then save every dime you get i mean your life will change yeah. your life will absolutely change if if today you're worried and you don't have the cash and you're worrying about how you're going to make it through potentially a, a small downturn like do everything you can budget and go out there and follow the Dave Ramsey's and whoever you can. And like, don't follow them forever. Right. Because <laughs> some of this stuff, it doesn't apply once you can, once you have an, a nut, but the freeing feeling of having cash in the bank and having equity in multiple investments. I mean, there's, there's nothing like it in the world and not worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, yeah. I mean, I've got, it was so funny. We had, I don't know if you guys saw earlier this year where the, the houses in the outer banks uh, that ended up hit by that storm. And then they were swimming in the ocean. The houses were like in the waves. Oh my God. Uh, and it was on national TV. That was one of my clients. Uh, and they were upset, but were they like, were they destroyed? No, they were not. They were not destroyed. And it's because they had other investments going on. They had other income. They weren't relying on just that one investment. So they wouldn't have been able to get to that point if they didn't take the risk a couple of times. So I would say real estate, yes, is risky. And, and like, you know, do your due diligence, but it's also one of the least risky investments you can make. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So Tyler, normally this would be the part of the episode where I ask you to tell us how to connect with you, but I'm going to call you and just gatekeep you to myself and harass <laughs> your phone. So we're not going to share. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead and share <laughs> your contact info. Um, but I am for sure getting on that call list and I will call you every week for something because you completely sold me <laughs> on this market. Um, so go ahead and share. How can people get a hold of you? Yeah, so there's a couple ways. Hit me up on Facebook Messenger. It's Tyler Kuhn. Uh, you'll see my face there. Or you can go ahead and schedule on my Calendly link. It's calendly.com slash Tyler Kuhn. Okay. Pretty simple. Uh, also, I'm, I'm very accessible. So uh, if you want to write it down, my cell phone number is 828 
620-2541. I like to do it old school. Shoot me a text message and then we'll we'll set up a time to get on a call. Um, but if you want to get on my schedule right now, Calendly is the best way. And that's calendly.com slash Tyler Coon. Okay. C-O-O-N. That will be linked below. Thank you so much, Tyler. Um, I definitely will be following up with you because I'm very interested awesome. in this market now. Um, Thank you for having me on, Natalie. Yeah, it's great to get to you. Yeah, this was so fun. Thank you so much, Tyler. We'll be in touch soon. And um, I hope everybody takes the time to reach out to you and, um, and explore this market. I think you definitely sold it. And there's a lot of pros here that I, um, I'm dealing with some issues and how seasonal my market is and the regulation that is making this very attractive right now. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a call anytime. Thanks, Natalie. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, this one made me laugh out loud. I just, oh man, I just always get a kick out of the stupid ways that guests try to get get discounts and try to nitpick at certain things to get a refund. And this one, this one made me laugh out loud. A host posted a screenshot from their guest saying this, by the way, the pullout couch was dirty and gross. When we arrived, we didn't use it. It still needs to be cleaned. And the host posted this screenshot and said, guys, we don't have a pullout couch, nor do we advertise one. When I mentioned we didn't have a pullout couch, they said, oh, how funny. I just, I just can't. Like, by the way, the pullout couch was dirty and gross when we arrived and we didn't use it. It still needs to be cleaned. I I mean, what is this supposed to accomplish? I feel like they're just like trying to make it seem like, oh, we couldn't use it because it was dirty and therefore we need a refund. We're going to make you feel super guilty about it that we couldn't use it. And I just love that the host is like, you guys, we don't even have one and we don't even advertise it. What are you talking about? I just love it. Do not let these guests get refunds out of you guys, okay? These guests are the Airbnb hole. Host, you handled it perfectly. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.